Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and today I am finally back home. I have everything I need to record this episode, including my fancy microphone, my sound mixer, my ring lights, like everything I need. I got my coffee cup, my huge jug of water, and I feel relieved. So the thing about living a global life and traveling a lot is... It's exhausting, first and foremost. Like anytime I tell people what I've been up to, that I've been traveling around, that I've gone to 10 different places, three different countries in two and a half months, people are like, oh my God, I want your life. And it's true, I wouldn't change my life for anything. However, there is nothing like going home to the middle of the woods where nothing is going to distract me, which is where I am now. So pros and cons about living in Connecticut, the pros, complete tranquility peace especially in the springtime so right now I've been laying on my hammock if you follow me on Instagram you should see those posts coming up other pros families nearby recently I got together with my sister and my nephew who's turning 10 a big reason why I decided to come here and buy a place here was because of my family and it's for moments like this did you know your son could beatbox yeah go ahead booba you were teaching me Your turn. Just do what you normally do. Pretend there's no camera. Okay, the camera's off. I know that camera's on. I know you guys are on. <laughs> You're amazing. I'm over here like this. <laughs> when my nephew just basically threw down, he's such a good beatboxer. Who knew? These are things I would have missed had I not come back home and, you know, spent time here with my family. But the cons, uh, cons are lack of stimulation. If I don't take initiative to, like, walk outside... I will walk a hundred steps and all of those have been to pee or to go to the fridge and back to my office. And another really, really big obstacle here is if I don't make a point to do anything, like if I don't wake up with the intention of making a video or the intention of making a podcast or the intention of even leaving my house, I won't do it. So there isn't any kind of external motivational factor there aren't friends that I'm meeting up at a certain time that mean I have to kind of hurry up and get work done. There's nothing. And so I've been thinking a lot about what that means for me here and now. And this episode is going to be a little bit different. There will be no guest. It'll just be me and you. And I'm excited for it. I asked you to submit questions on not only my Instagram at Joe underscore Franco, but on the podcast Instagram account at Not Your Average Joe Pod. 
give us a follow on both. By the way, people ask me if I read my DMs on my personal account, and yes, I do. I don't have some other secret account <laughs> where I, like, I send messages to my friends. It is what it is. Like, yeah, I am what you get, and, and like, there is no facade here. So if you send me a DM on my personal Instagram, there's a high probability I will read it and even higher that I'll respond. Uh, so send me some love, y'all. It's like the highlight of my day when I see cool messages from people. Because then that's when I realize that what I'm doing, I'm not just putting content into the ethos and no one hears it. Like I finally get to see the people on the receiving end of how I spend every day of my life sitting in front of a computer editing content. If you don't comment or if you don't send me a message, I don't know <laughs> if it's all worth it. I literally don't. Because to me, the numbers don't matter as much as the impact. So again, if you love what you're hearing, send me a DM, leave the podcast a five-star review, leave us a proper review on Apple Podcasts, and I will be reading everything. Without further ado, Let's get into the Q&A. Kill the intro, sis. You know she's not your average Joe, not your average Joe. She's not your average Joe. So there was no theme for this Q&A, which is exciting because I guess we can uh, dive into tons of different topics. I think a lot of you have asked questions about language learning and about motivation in general. In the past few months, I've been doing some serious inventory taking of my own life. And I've mentioned this on an episode previously that whether I'm talking about financial literacy or you know language learning tips or workouts, it's all rooted in habits. So I think we'll probably have some cool overlap with the questions and answers, but let's see, let's see what we got, okay. Question from Sonia.i50.sl. Can a 14-year-old take language classes that you talk about? The answer is yes, absolutely. I have been doing a lot of hindsight, like looking in my rearview mirror of my language journeys. And I realized I have been learning languages since I turned five years old. So the language that's coming out of my mouth right now, I was not born to speak this language because I was born in Brazil. So it's pretty wild that the language that I use 100% of the time, for the most part, was not a language I should have been speaking throughout my life. It would have been in Portuguese. Aí eu teria que falar com vocês em Portuguese. Like, my Portuguese got rusty over time, so you start seeing the brain adapting. And the earlier that you get language in your brain, the better, because it builds the plasticity, in other words, the elasticity in your brain, the ease that your neurons and the connections in your brain can form to make sense of gibberish that's coming out of someone's mouth that speaks a language you don't understand. So whether you're 14 or you're 40, the earlier you do it, the better. And here's the other thing too. There's an episode on this podcast talking about how you could be in your 60s and starting to learn a new language. So I had a really great conversation with Steve Kaufman who is an entrepreneur and polyglot in the language space. And he just straight up started speaking Persian at age 60. So whatever age you are now is the perfect age to start learning a language. And that goes for young kids to teenagers to people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. 
one thing that I've also come to realize in the last few months is that I don't think I'll ever stop language learning. And that's almost a, a relief because there is no finish line. It's just the whole journey. Like my entire life will just be more or less what I'm doing now. I don't know if that's daunting or exciting, but I enjoy the process. So to me, it's more exciting. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, everything that I promote, you can start using whatever age you're in. Obviously, you'll need some money. Uh, if it's a paid app like Pimsleur, you get seven days for free, but then you have to pay a subscription. But in my opinion, anytime I've had to pay for anything, whether it's a really nice gym or personal training or a language tutor or an app that I really love, it's worth the money. And the money is actually a collateral for you to show up and do it. Because if you're using these free apps, there's a high probability you'll fall off. Sorry, things are just falling in my house. <laughs> and that's how my house caught on fire. Okay, sorry, I had a huge sticky note that fell on top of an incense. Um, drama here in Connecticut. This is the biggest drama. So anyways, if you're using free apps that uh, I call fast food or candy style apps that are very gamified, easy visually to look at, really, you're not truly investing in yourself in that sense. You're, you're priming your brain to get the language inside of your mind. But what you're not doing is actually sitting down and learning how many people have downloaded free apps and still cannot speak a sentence. You still can't even order your coffee. When you're paying for the apps, when you're paying for the tutors, you can speed up your learning. And that's why I have my arsenal of tools. And I'm always looking for new tools, by the way. Everybody always asks me like, Joe, what's the perfect language app? There is no one thing. There is no one app. There is no one teacher. There is no one method. And that's why the things that I'm building, like the 21 day language challenge, combines all of it. Because if you think about when you first started learning your native language, or if you speak a second language, how many different resources and sources of input did you have? You're not just sitting on a computer with one program. You're probably going to school and a teacher's speaking to you, and then you're reading a book in English or whatever your native tongue is. You're watching a TV show. You're listening to music. I try to simulate that ecosystem with every language that I learn, which is why it becomes more enjoyable, but that's also why when someone asks me what is the best app to learn, I will never give you one answer. And even if I give you an answer today, highly probable that I'll give you a different answer in five years because I will have discovered new things because that's what I do. It's like every day I'm on the lookout for the newest techniques, newest apps, or I read different books, or I subscribe to newsletters in those languages so you have to get creative, but that's the fun part. Damn, I could talk a lot. Okay, it's like, shoot, I didn't think I would have so much to say on these topics. Have you ever intentionally cultivated a specific regional dialect slash accent when learning a new language? This is actually a really funny question uh, because I'm good at languages, but I'm horrible at accents. If, if someone were to ask me like, oh, do, do your mother's accent? I cannot for my life. Like someone will say, I will kill you if you don't do... I won't do it. I'll, I will die. <laughs> I would literally die. I can't do accents. Connecticut has the most baseline English. It's like movie English. In Brazil, I grew up in Rio. So, eu sou carioca. 
I'm from Rio, which means I'm a Carioca, and we have an accent there. But if you were to ask me to try to make someone else's accent, like from the south of Brazil or from the north, like, again, can't do it. It's almost like my brain doesn't work in that way, which makes me very curious about how your brains work. Like, do you find it easier to replicate accents or to actually learn languages? Uh, please send me a DM or a comment on the Not Your Average Joe Instagram account. Will you upload Italy part two? I got back home from my trip on Thursday of last week, so it's not even been a week yet. And every single day I've been spending literally hours editing that video. Uh, if you're not following me on YouTube, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But I've started this really, really dope format where I'm combining my love of journaling and writing with vlogs that I've taken from trips that I've had. So I'm building a whole new style of video for myself, which is why it takes so long, but it's been the most gratifying. And my reasoning for doing this, as opposed to just like slapping the vlog footage together, was that if I want to write books one day, then, and I need to fund my writing, because 99% of professional authors they only fund their writing because they teach. So I'm like, okay, well, one day maybe I'll be a professor, but that's not today. Today I make content on the internet. So how do I combine making content with my writing to not only sharpen my writing, but then to have more of like a portfolio and to be to start being known as a writer on the internet? Italy part one is the video that I published Oh my God, I'm spilling coffee everywhere because I'm getting so passionate about this. And then I realized, shoot, this video takes so freaking long because it's like writing a chapter of a book, but also combining it with visuals. So it's really, 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 really time consuming, but the most gratifying of all. So everybody's been asking like, where's Italy part two? And I am working on it and it will be live on Sunday. I will do a special premiere And then there's going to be like a live chat. So everybody who's watching around the world, we can be chatting about what's happening. I would love to see you there. I will be logged on, obviously. Maybe I'll do it in the afternoon. Let's say 2 p.m. I'm going to launch at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. So if you're bored on Sunday, come hang out. I'll be on the live chat on my YouTube channel. I've never done a YouTube premiere, but since everybody keeps asking about Italy part two... I'm gonna give it to y'all. We gonna make it special. Question about language learning again. How many levels of Pimsleur do you do when starting a new language? So it goes back to what I was talking about. There is no answer for this. With Pimsleur, I really love how you can multitask because I am busy as all of us are. So if you're commuting, you can pop it into your car or if you're working out like I do on my treadmill, I love the fact that they're 30 minutes a day. So you pick a monotonous activity that you have to do or you want to do for 30 minutes and, and then you put it on and then you actually realize, like for instance, for me, in 30 minutes, I get a good run in. But if I weren't doing the Pimsleur, I might only run for 15, 20 minutes. So not only am I learning the language, but it's making me run longer so that's my suggestion with Pimsleur and like I said there is no correct level I think by lesson 13 like lesson 12 or lesson 13 is when you really start seeing that you've picked some stuff up because then because then it becomes automatic the way Pimsleur works it's like a building block 
of your language from what you learned the previous day, but then they'll quiz you without you even knowing that they're quizzing you. Like on day 20, they'll quiz you on what you learned in day five that they haven't really brought up. And then it digs, you have to dig in your brain. And when you realize that you know what, what they're asking, but you haven't heard it in like 10 days, you're like, dang, this is actually working. And that is essentially the symptom of your brain having created neural pathways and connections that will allow you to start speaking the language without thinking too much of it. You know, I even speak to executives who, who work at language apps and they all say the same thing. They're aware that whether they work for, you know, Pimsleur or anyone else, they're aware that the way you're going to learn a language is never by just using their software. And so I talked to Pimsleur about how I use Preply, for instance, or, you know, italki or Lingoda. Like I use different tutoring services to find human beings and the Pimsleur it complements all of that because then I can stick in what I've learned from Pimsleur in reality with a, with a human and hear how they react or, you know, it helps me build some filler words that I can throw in conversation. But I think once you get to lesson 10, 11, 12, you start really grasping some basics that if you were stranded, you would have enough to survive, uh, you'd know how to order like wine and beer if you're learning Greek or coffee and tea if you're learning Arabic from my experience. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, question from Esco underscore Mike. Have you gotten bad advice? I love asking people this question. Yes, I have gotten bad advice. Actually, I've gotten tons of bad advice, and it's usually from, like, older Caucasian gentlemen. Um, no shade on the whole, you know, group of people, but just the, the common thread was that they would never in a million years understand me or it's highly unlikely that they would understand me because I'm a woman of color who grew up in between cultures with curly hair and like this insatiable desire to see the world and they probably had never even left their town. So how could I expect them to give me advice that actually applied to me? You can't, but you don't know that when you're, you know, 17, 18 and eager to, to be an entrepreneur and to make waves in society. You don't know that these people are going to give you bad advice. Uh, so you take their advice or you think about what they said and you, you hold so much value to it. Now looking back, I see 
I don't even know if it's bad advice that they gave me. It's just advice that didn't apply to me because I'm not a normal person. Um, which again, took a 30 year time span to understand fully. But anyways, to answer your question, bad advice that I've gotten in college, I was in the video class, the only creative class that I took video one. And I had already started learning how to edit videos. I had a Mac and I had iMovie. So I would play around and crafting stories and picking good music. I, it was all self-taught, like Googling everything that I didn't know, how to make transitions, how to add text, all of that. But video one was my investment in my creativity. I was like, what if I take this class? What's going to happen? So the first day of class, the teacher's like, okay, well, you have to submit a video concept. And that video is going to be what you'll work on all semester. And I told the teacher, okay, cool. Here's my idea. I want to make a video where I'm speaking different languages, telling the same story. But every time... I switch languages, the visual changes around me as well. This man looks me in the face and says, no one will ever want to see you speaking multiple languages. Go back to the drawing board. <laughs> Which is crazy because that was in 2012. And when I went back to the drawing board, I came back with the idea of a young travel show with my college friend, Damon. But if that teacher, and he approved that, of course, he approved that. But if that teacher would have nurtured my love of language and culture and everything that I'm still doing today, 10 years later, imagine what I would have built, right? And like, I didn't know better at the time. I didn't know to stick to my guns and be like, whatever, dude, I'm going to do this anyways. I, I was just eager looking for validation of my concepts. He's my professor. I'm assuming he knows best. And it was bad advice because now... I'm pivoting and doing exactly what I pitched him 10 years ago that I never did until now. So it's like the moral of the story is if you know that this is you, it's not just an idea. This is who you are. Because to me, that's who I am, right? Like this person who learns languages wants to dive into cultures. That is not changing. It hasn't changed in 10 years. I doubt it'll change in another 10 years. If anything, it'll just evolve. And when you're doing something that's so unique to you, it's very hard. Someone from the outside who doesn't know you at all will ever be able to give you good advice on it because they don't know. So it's hard to take advice in general when you're a creative person because your path will likely not be the normal path. Most of my creative friends have similar stories where, you know, they dropped out of college and people were so concerned at the time, but they've made such a beautiful life for themselves, not only in their career, but how they live their lives. And if they would have taken the advice of the people who were nervous about them dropping out of college, they wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So when someone gives you advice in any stage of your life, take it with a grain of salt, because the truth is, if they're not living the life you want to live, it's highly unlikely they can give you good advice for your life. And that's not to say that they don't love you and care for you and want the best for you, but just because they love you and care for you and want the best for you doesn't mean that their advice is going to really be what you need. So when you zoom out, listen to yourself. What do you actually want? Because you're the one who's going to have to put in the work. You're the one that's going to have to wake up and make those videos or practice that instrument or, you know, run a hundred miles. You're the one putting in the work 
So you should honor what you want to do, what makes you feel alive. Otherwise, you're living life for others. And I think I took a detour for 10 years. When I look back, I'm like, shoot, I was trying to start this 10 years ago, and it took me 10 years to get here. Same thing with this podcast. I had this idea since 2015. I have journals where I wrote Not Your Average Joe podcast on it in 2015. And because of the advice that I was taking from other people or because of the success that I was having in the other projects that I was doing, I put those ideas on the back burner. And guess what? Here I am doing it because when you have an idea that is authentically yours, it will not go away. It might just take years to come to life, but it won't go away. So you might as well just do it when you feel like you want to do it because it'll buy you some time. Okay, another question that's related to that last question. How do you get over your fear of stepping outside of your comfort zone, for example, starting a blog? It's what I just mentioned. It's like only you know what you actually want to do. We're living in hype culture in today's world, partially because of social media. Something goes viral. Uh, you think that you need to jump on the bandwagon, but the hype is not what's going to get you to sleep with a peace, peaceful mind at night. So I think it's more important than ever to be like, what do I actually want? Which is why I created Joe Club, so that people can write and listen to their inner thoughts that are probably getting clouded out because of hype culture. So why are you afraid is the question that you need to ask yourself and only you can answer that. Some common answers would be, are you afraid of failure? We'll fail because when you fail, you learn. I use language learning as the example. The more I fail when I'm learning a language, the quicker I am to fluency. Because when I make a mistake, I learn. When someone tells me, Joe, that's wrong, I'm like, thank you for correcting me. I will likely not make that mistake again. If you start a blog and you're afraid to fail, fail. Because that failure is what's going to help you build the next version of it. How many ideas have I put out into the world that are like, lackluster but people don't remember those they remember when things worked out but the only reason things worked out was because of several failures that I had done previously that no one talks about or no one thinks about so to any success story there were several failures if you're afraid of failure just think about that another reason why you could be scared is like what are people gonna think once again who cares what people think if they're not living the life that you want to live their opinion, sorry to say this, doesn't really matter. So it's like the only thing that you need to be doing is cultivating trust with your audience, being true to yourself, write your heart out on that blog and do it consistently. Journaling is another example. When you journal every day or frequently, you're spending maybe like 20 minutes writing in one page. But when you do that consistently, the beauty is that you filled up an entire book of your life. When you're thinking about starting a blog, same concept. It's not one blog entry that's going to set you apart. You're not going to win an award for one blog entry. You're not going to blow up from just one YouTube video. Maybe you do, but the beauty is never in just one thing. It's in the collection of things. It's how a collection of journal entries turn into a book. A collection of YouTube videos turns into a community. A collection of blogs turn into a bustling website. So you have many opportunities to, yes, fail, but also to succeed. There was a, a piece that I read 
uh, I think it was in the New York Times about how comedians are experts at failing and that's why they don't take life too seriously. Because when you are a comedian every night, you know that you're putting yourself in front of an audience and your goal is kind of to fail. So you could see what works and what doesn't work. So you grow thicker skin. Anytime you do something consistently and there's that feedback loop, whether it's like, you know, this podcast or YouTube videos or Instagram posts, you grow thicker skin the more you do it. And that's just good character building. So start your blog, baby boo. Start your blog. The world needs to see it. How does it feel to run your own business at a relatively young age? <laughs> I love the relatively part. I'm turning 30 this year, guys. So I haven't worked for anyone else since I was 22. I always say 10 years, but I guess it's only been eight. Yes, I moved to Los Angeles in 2015, and that's when I started making full-time living on YouTube and blogging and Instagram and Twitter and anything else I could find, honestly. So how does it feel to have been doing this for eight years? It's pretty dope, I can't lie. This year, I was with my really good girlfriends. It's four of us, and we've known each other for a decade. And they knew me when I was running around the college hallways like a chicken with no head, getting ready to meet executives in New York and pitch them on my concepts, all of which amounted to nothing. The only thing that amounted to something was me sitting down and working and editing and making stuff. Like, that's the only thing that actually worked. But I did get really good interview skills in these many pitches that I did. But anyways, I remember doing that. And my friends, who are still my dear friends today, three of them, Omnia, Spose, and Diana, they were also on their, you know, college paths. And we were all getting similar degrees in international business and management. And they groom you in that path to work for other people so 10 years later we were having this chat my best friends and I I guess eight years later we were having this chat about how in the beginning I was so nervous because I was entrepreneurial and I saw them get jobs and I saw them get promotions and I saw them get salaries and time off and I didn't have any of that and in the beginning it was really scary because I knew if I didn't wake up and get to my computer and work. I wouldn't be able to support my life. So I would see them get these big career milestones and I knew that if I didn't wake up and go to my computer in the early morning and work until the wee hours of the night, I wouldn't get a paycheck. I knew that if I didn't scrub LinkedIn and find all the executives and pitch them on how to turn nothing into something, I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. And in the beginning it was horrifying. My best friend Omnia called it a spiky lifestyle because I would wake up and one day randomly get an email about thousands of dollars coming in because of some campaign, but then I wouldn't get paid for a few months. And years have gone by, right? Like it's been eight years of consistently working for myself and not having any baseline. I don't have a ceiling of how much money I can make, but I also don't have a floor. And this year when I was talking to my friends, about how I've been doing this entrepreneurial path for so long, I'm like, dang, I don't think it's changing. When you start running your business in the beginning, you, at least I did, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do this for a few years and then let's see. I never thought that I could consistently grow my income, grow my audience, just grow everything purely on my own excitedness about topics. Uh, and I, 
this year is the first year where it locked in. I'm like, damn, this is my life and it's not changing. And I even played around with the concept of like, what if I work for Google this year as I'm thinking, okay, what's next? I want to move to London. I want to get a a visa there. It's like, how am I going to get there? And one of the things that I mentioned to my friends, I was like, hey, what if I worked for someone else as, you know, some global marketing director, which I would actually love. But they all said, Joe, you cannot work for someone else. I cannot imagine you working for someone else. And I'm like, I could do it, y'all. Like, I could fit in. But I don't think I could really because whatever I do for someone else would limit me. I wouldn't be using all of the things that I use as an entrepreneur. Like, as an entrepreneur, you use everything. You are creative. You're admin. You have to build relationships. You, you're you busy. You're completely busy. And there's a high probability I would never be able to find a job title that kind of like quenches my thirst for all of the things that I love in my life. So if I wake up one day and I really want to talk about fitness, I can create a whole content strategy about that. Or I can create a whole challenge about that. If I wake up one day and I want to talk about money, I could do the same thing. Or language, I could do the same thing. Or I want to start shooting a travel documentary, I have all of those skills, I can do it. If I work for someone else, I can't do all of those things. I would be doing one thing. And if I'm lucky, I get a promotion to do maybe half of another thing I love. But yeah, so it feels good to be an entrepreneur from a young age. The hard part, though, is realizing that you have to build everything. You're your own architect. No one is giving me the answer. There's no path forward unless I build it. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's also kind of scary because you get to these moments where you hit a milestone and then you ask yourself, okay, what do I want now? TBD. Another really great question. What do you do when your fear of not having money prevents you from following your dreams? Uh, I've never let my fear of not having money prevent me from following my dreams. I've always been hyper strategic about it, though. If I needed to work, uh, which everybody always needs to work, but like whatever job I could get that would hit two things, at least two things that I loved, i.e., getting a paycheck and then studying languages, getting a paycheck, being in the travel space, getting a paycheck, being creative. I would do that job because I knew that the skills that I was building while also paying my bills would result in something that was positive for me to live my dreams. So when I was in college, my entire job was strategy in looking up internships that could be useful whether that was because I was giving resources or I was taught how to pitch or I was in a creative space. After I graduated college, it was working in a co-working space because I wanted an office space that was open until midnight, but I couldn't afford it. So instead I brewed coffee and I was around other entrepreneurs and on the weekends, that's where I went to work. Uh, So when it comes to following your dreams and not having money, take out a big piece of paper right now and write down Everything you need, right? How much money do you need a month? Uh, Are you in school? Do you need to commit a certain amount of hours to school? Do you have a full-time job? Do you have a family? Write down everything that you need to do. Write down what you want to do in another column, same piece of paper, and try to combine what you want to do with what you need to do so that you're feeding two birds with one scone. And that, I think, is the pathway to the moment where you could take calculated risk because then you've built skills or you've built freedom or you've built relationships so that when you get to the point where you're ready to quit 
it's not like you're quitting and starting off to build your dreams from nothing. You've been building it a little bit slower, but you've done it smarter. So I'm all for smart and slow and you'll get there. We'll do a few more questions. If you were in your early 20s again, what would you do differently? Damn y'all making me feel old. I'm still so excited that I'm in my 20s for another few months. Uh, Not many, but a few. I feel like I've been in my 30s though. Once your friends start hitting 30s, you are basically 30. But I'm still 29, so let's stay in the 20s as long as possible. If I could change anything in my early 20s, what would it be? I think going back to the beginning of what I said in the episode... I would have made my multilingual videos. Um, I remember it was like an itch that I never scratched that is still itching. It sounds like a skin condition, which it should be considered one when you know that you want to do something and you don't do it. And then you realize years have gone by and guess what? You still want to do it. I think I would have written more. I remember vividly being in New York City with a camera and I started making these artistic videos and I I really felt like that was natural for me to do that. No one told me to do it. But I'm like, how cool would it be to combine my writing with visuals? I didn't know what that meant. Clearly now looking back, it's like, oh yeah, that's storytelling, Joe. Duh. But I never focused on that because I was too focused on pitching the concept of a young travel show. It's like these things that were natural to me and I knew that there was a little voice inside of me saying like, do this, do this. I didn't do it. So it's okay that I didn't do it because now there's more, it's like been fermented. I have 10 years of experience so I can make those ideas even better. But what I would have done differently was I would have listened to myself when I heard that little voice. I would have executed on those ideas and I wouldn't have listened to old crusty dusty professor that told me not to do the thing that I'm doing now that's successful. So listen to your gut. Wow, there's some really solid questions. You guys killed it. How do you combat being extremely homesick when traveling? I'm a big music lover. I feel like music transports me wherever. I have a, a playlist called Saudade in 1998. Saudade is the best Brazilian word, Portuguese word. It's essentially this like deep, profound melancholy of longing. Saudade. Not a translatable word, but everybody knows the feeling. And whenever I'm homesick, I listen to the playlist or I call my family and I look for things that remind me of Brazil. Like when I was living in LA and I really wanted Brazilian food, but nothing was around me, I would get Mexican food because it was rice and beans. Uh, I love writing because it's a way to build the world that you don't have in your face. So I would write about home. I would write about the details that I miss from my grandma's house or or conversations that I have with family when I'm home. So there are tricks of the trade, but also just know when you're homesick, that's a beautiful thing. It's like, I'm a masochist in a way because whenever I'm sad, I'm happy and grateful to be sad. When you're sad, it's because something was great. So when you're longing for something, when you're experiencing that pain, that saudade, it's because something was beautiful. So when you're homesick, it's because you have a beautiful home. And maybe that's your physical house or the relationships and, you know, life that you live in it. But what a beautiful thing to feel homesick. 
So take that and turn it into something beautiful. Maybe do some artistic ventures with that feeling. So two people ask the same thing, and I love this question because I try to figure this out every day. Someone asks, I get so overwhelmed creating content for IG and YouTube. How do you handle everything you do? And another person says, how do you cope with all of the businesses in everyday life? Doesn't it feel sometimes overwhelming? Girl, you know it does. But especially now since I've started pivoting towards things I really, really love and things that are just me, I have Joe Club, right? And I have to lead sessions twice a month. And it's not even that I have to. I want to. I could find moderators. I could ask somebody to lead it for me. But because I've built the company on something I do naturally and that I love doing, it doesn't feel overwhelming. I led the Jill Club retreat. I planned everything from start to finish on my own. I got everybody custom journals. I had the relationship with the owner of the property. We built the itinerary together. I set up the payment back end. I built my site. Like I, I've literally done everything. And that was seemingly overwhelming, but then I'm like, damn, I get to provide these people with an experience. And that to me is so gratifying that it doesn't feel overwhelming. Then I actually led the workshops and for six days I'm on a hundred percent on, I'm building out different writing exercises, bonding activities, all of these things I'm coming up with from nowhere, from my experience and from what I expect will be good. And it was such a success. The retreat was such a success. And everyone was like, Joe, how are you doing this? And I'm like, I think it's because it's my sacred thing. Like, this is my calling. Now, that sounds cheesy, but when you're doing what you're meant to be doing, you find the energy on Instagram and YouTube. Same thing there. I've started just making things that are beautiful vignettes of what I'm already doing. So I'm already learning languages because I want to. So instead of going out of my way to film some random YouTube video that I don't care about just to put it on YouTube, instead, I'm documenting something that, that I want to remember. So a trip with my best friend to Italy because she broke off an engagement or, you know, this adventure in Croatia where I'm truffle hunting with this badass woman who truffle hunts or I'm documenting my Greek learning process. All of these things are things I want to do. So it's not overwhelming because I want to do them. So the takeaway here is after all of these questions and many answers, the theme of the Q&A is like, Listen to what you want to do because it's your life. Things are overwhelming, but only when you're not being honest with what you want to do. Also, I'm a huge analog chick. So the Joe Clubbers that came to the retreat, they were all shocked that I'm barely on my phone. Surprise, I don't love being on social media. I'm an in-person person, but I do love the elements of connection uh, on social media. Anyways, I've talked my ears off, so it's time for me to drink some water and get out of here. But if you've liked this episode, don't forget to leave a five-star rating. Share it with a friend if you feel like I've said something that could help your friend. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Joe underscore Franco and on the podcast account at Not Your Average Joe Pod. Please send me uh, suggestions of what you'd like to hear about. I'm in the process of booking guests for the next batch of really dope conversations if you have any topics you want me to cover drop me a line or send me an email if you'd like to journal with me and ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Get your, you know, twice a month dose of really good global conversation. Join Joe Club. I'm linking everything in the show notes. And you can get 50% off your first month by using Not Your Average Joe at checkout. Let's keep each other accountable, as always, and use the internet to build our dream lives. Life's too short to be living someone else's life, y'all. It's too short. It really is. And I'll leave you with a thought that I had this morning. This is what happens when I'm home for like five days. Every day of your life is like a grain of sand. And what that means is that when it's all said and done, life's a beach. You might as well play in the water. <laughs> Cheesy and stupid, I know, but it's okay. Have a beautiful above average week and I'll see you soon. Hey yo, come listen to my girl, man. What you doing? Shit.